And I pray this morning as we look now at your holy word, God, that you speak to us through this word clearly. God, may the words bring us life, truth. Not my words, God, but this word that you have given us. And Father, I pray that if there be any here today that has never come in repentance, trusting by way of saving faith in the grace that you've poured out and your sacrifice, Lord God, that God, you call them today, that you save them today and bring them to repentance. And we ask these things in Christ Jesus' holy name. Amen. Open up to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, we started a couple weeks ago. We looked at a bit of an intro, and then last week we, we looked at these first five verses in the Gospel of John. And we're going to be there again today looking at a few verses, verses 6, 7, and 8. And we're going to talk about the witness for this word. And something you'll discover as we make our way through this first chapter is John does a very tremendous job of, of giving us an introduction. And in this first chapter, he gives us a great outline of really what the, worst, uh, the rest of the message, the rest of the word, not the worst, the rest, that was a combination of the word and the rest. It's not the worst, it's phenomenal word. It's God's word, it's, there's none other. But he gives us a great um, preview of the rest of this chapter given us like an overview, if you will, an introduction, and he, and he tells us everything he's going to tell us. And, and if you have ever um, heard a great orator, and I'm not saying you've heard one here, <laughs> but if you've ever heard one, okay, uh, what a good communicator will do, they will tell you what they're going to say, then they will say it, and then they'll tell you what they've said. And if you've ever taken a speech class in college or for, for your work, you know, a business, uh, for your job, they'll tell you that that's what you're supposed to do. You tell them what you're going to tell them. You tell them what you're going to tell Well, I'm sorry. You tell them what you're about to tell them. Then you tell them. And then you tell them what you just told them. And it sounds redundant. But that is how you're supposed to speak. And that's exactly what John does here. He gives us this introduction. And he tells us really in a broad kind of brushstroke everything that he's about to really explain. And he's going to come back to all of these things that, that Jesus is the Word and is the true God. And then what we're going to see today that, that there came a man who is John the Baptist. And he was not the light, but he pointed to the light. And he's going to talk about just that. And we're going to see how there were people that followed John the Baptist as we make our way through the Gospel of John over the months to come. And we'll see how he's going to keep coming back to the fact that John himself is not the, the one that we're supposed to be following and worshiping, but it's Jesus. And then he's going to come back even and pick up on this way of salvation, how we are to believe in Jesus as he talks about in verses 12 and 13. But we're going to see this theme over and over again. So John today is introducing someone who points to the Word of God, and that is none other than John the Baptizer. Now, let's read these few verses, 6, 7, and 8. Just follow with me here. Verses 6, 7, and 8, John chapter 1. It says, There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. And so what he does now is he introduces John the Baptist. And, and he's not, let me just put your mind at ease, all right, or get you off of your Southern Baptist high horse maybe if you happen to be from that background. 
John the Baptist was not the first Southern Baptist. He was not the first American Baptist. He was not the first independent Baptist. This was not a denomination here, okay? What it was was just an identifier. John the baptizer. Because we, we, we are introduced of, of John in the Gospels as being the one who baptized for repentance. This was before Jesus' ministry was made public. It's before Jesus had gone to the cross. It's before the Holy Spirit had come and, and birthed the church for Jesus Christ. None of those things had happened yet. So still under that old covenant, as a Jew, John was preparing the way for Jesus. And we're introduced to him here. John here, the writer, the, the apostle John, who writes the Gospel of John, he's identifying this John and telling us, this is not me, all right? This is John, this one who comes from God. But it is the same one who is identified in Matthew 3 as John the Baptist in Mark chapter 6 and in Luke 7. So if you want to write those down for further study, Matthew 3, all right? Mark chapter 6 and Luke chapter 7, verse 20, if memory serves. Luke seven twenty. But we see... It's all talking about John the baptizer, John the one, the forerunner who comes. And he's also, if you want to get real technical here, he's also the cousin of Jesus on his mama's side, okay? Mary, the mother of Jesus, his humanity, right? She and John the Baptist, his mother, they were cousins, and they were pregnant at the same time. And, and uh, we'll talk more about that at a, at a later date as we get into the gospel. But here it doesn't get into all of those things. Here we're simply introduced that there came a man from God. There came a man sent from God. His name was John. And it refers, again, to John the Baptist. And again, John the gospel writer simply calls him John here. John. He's a forerunner of the Lord. And we're going to see that his mission was to announce the coming of Christ Jesus and to tell people to get ready to receive Jesus Christ. And can I just tell you, and let me go ahead and make this very practical from the get-go. What we're going to learn today in these three verses about John the baptizer, John the Baptist, being one who is to tell others about Jesus and to make the way for Jesus. Folks, that is absolutely something that you and I as Christians are to be about as well. And so as you're looking at this, as we look at this together, we will get to some practical things at the end, but just know from the start that what we're learning about John, yes, he was special because he was the forerunner. He came in the spirit of Elijah, and God specifically called him. But the role that he fills here is a role that today you and I can fulfill as well. Now, we are called to be witnesses for God. We're called to testify that Jesus is the Messiah. And we're going to talk about that as we progress here. But no, this does speak to us. This is not just a historical thing that we're going to look at. It also is very practical for us. And so what we see here in these three verses is that there is a tremendous contrast now. John is already, John the writer of the gospel, has already in those first few verses introduced to us Jesus. In the beginning, verse 1, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And then he tells us that all things came into being through the Word, and nothing that came into being has come into being. All things came through Him. Apart from him, nothing has come into being, he says. Then he says in verse 4, that in him was the life, and that life was the light of men. And he says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Let me just ask you, do you think there's still darkness today? There is some darkness today. All you have to do is look at any news station, and look at what's been going on in our nation's capital. And you will see the epitome of darkness illustrated. You will see a beautiful picture of darkness. When people who are 
protesting for who even knows what they're protesting for anymore. But when they protest, you, folks, you know what I call a protest that destroys other people's property, that, that harms others? It's called rioting. That's exactly right. Folks, this isn't about politics today, but just know this is a dark world we live in. And if ever there was a time that we need to proclaim the truth, that time is now. Do you have the right to protest in America? Absolutely. And thank God for the freedom that we have to disagree with one another, be they a president or not. But we don't have the right to bring havoc and chaos and destruction. That's called rioting and that's called breaking the law. And I think it's funny. Paula brought my attention to this. It's, it's kind of funny that these... Let's just face it, these liberals who are rioting for... Some of them probably don't even know what they are rioting for. I don't know if you happen to see... but I'm going somewhere with this. I don't know if you happen to see the day of the inauguration, that young boy, what was he, eight or nine? And did you hear what he said? They interviewed him said, why are you here? What message are you trying to send? And he was, he was very, very crude. And I blame it on his parents or the lack thereof of parenting. He said, basically, you know, we're here to... Blank the president. I'm not going to repeat it. It was very crass, very crude, very inappropriate for a young child of eight or nine, very inappropriate for anybody. But folks, why do I share something that dark with you? Because the world needs the light. And if ever we've noticed that the world needs the light, it was this week. It's not about just the country being divided. It's about people being lost without Jesus. It's about people being destined to bust hell wide open without Jesus. And our job as Christians is not just to make America great. That's a great bid for a president. You've got to hand it to him. That's make America great again. That's a good little slogan. That's a good motto. Made for some good chanting at the rallies. But folks, that's not the mission of us, the church. Our mission is to do what John the Baptist did, to proclaim the light, to bring the light. Politics will not fix what's wrong with America. Doesn't matter who's in the office. Politics is not the answer. The gospel is the answer. And so over and above, it doesn't matter how happy we are about who made it to the White House, okay? Of the choices, I'm going to tell you, I'm ecstatic. I am. But he is not our Savior. We are to proclaim truth and light, and that is Jesus Christ. Amen? And that's what John does here. And so getting back, it's desperately needed for someone even today to continue to proclaim the truth and the life and the way. And so we see this contrast here. John, the writer of the Gospel of John, makes this contrast between John the Baptist, this one sent from God, and, and the light, the word that he introduced to us. And we see the main point that the Apostle John is trying to make here is that Jesus, the word, the, the logos, as we learned last week, the word of God, he is God. He is God and there's none like him. But John the Baptist, John the baptizer here, he uses as an example because, let's face it, John the Baptist was the greatest religious teacher there ever has been. Jesus said so. He said, of those born of women, there is none like John the Baptist. And so, anybody living today cannot compare to John the Baptist. Jesus said so. He said, there's none that can compare. And the world thought very highly, some of the world thought very highly of John the Baptist. Not everybody. He, he ruffled some feathers. But folks, listen. The truth ruffles feathers all the time, doesn't it? The light ruffles the feathers of the darkness. 
It's designed to do so. There's no harmony between light and darkness. But he uses John the Baptist as an example because he is the greatest of all the religious teachers. And he had a tremendously incredible impact on the Roman Empire in his day and afterwards. We see even from history. Like the Jewish historian Josephus. He writes and speaks of John in his history of the Jews. But even beyond the, the realms of Judaism, his empire spread even throughout the Roman Empire. And we see, in fact, when, when John is writing this gospel, not the Baptist, the gospel writer John, okay, the disciple whom Jesus loved. When he's writing this gospel of John, do you remember where he's writing from? Did we get into that a few weeks, a couple weeks ago? He's writing most likely from the city of Ephesus, okay? From the city of Ephesus. In his old age, John, in his older age, John was a pastor of Ephesus. He pastored, it would seem, several churches in that area, but he did pastor the church of Ephesus for some time. And most likely, we believe that he wrote this gospel from Ephesus, from that duty when he was there in Ephesus. And so, when John is writing there from Ephesus, no doubt he is thinking very, very clearly and speaking here. I believe in these verses about John the Baptist, about the followers are speaking to, in some degree, to those followers of John the Baptist. Because if you go back and just jot this down in chapter, um, chapters 18 and 19 of the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 18 and 19, you're going to see, all right, the missionary journey there. We're going to see as Paul is making his missionary journey, we're going to see that he's in Ephesus. And in Acts, they're going to mention the followers of John the Baptist. We're going to see that there were some disciples of John the Baptist here. And so when John the Apostle, I know it's confusing. This is like some, this is like a, a, a bad skit. You know, who's on first? You know, what? what? I mean, I don't want to get into all that again, so I'll, I'll, I'll ruin it. But you know what I'm saying. John, which John are we talking about, okay? John and his other brother, John. That's, they weren't brothers. Let me stop. Let me breathe. John the Baptist had apostles that outlived him. Okay, we're going to see that John the Baptist, his life was taken. He was a martyr because he stood on truth. He was a martyr as he witnessed and testified. He was martyred. But even after him, there were disciples that continued on. In fact, what's interesting is if you look into the Gospels very clearly, very deeply, you'll see that John, the Gospel writer, was a disciple of John the Baptist early on. I mean, it's just mind-blowing stuff. It's really fun if you like history and connecting all the dots. But nonetheless, here are some, there, there are some, some contrasts that go on here. That's, I want to look at a few of these things here this morning. But, but he does. He, he brings some distinction between these. And as he's writing here, he's helping us to see that, yes, this man came from God, but he was not God. This John came, but he came to testify about God. He came to point to the light to the Word. He himself was not the light. He was not the Word, but he came to testify of the Word. In verse 7, look at verse 7 real quick. It says, He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. Now I want you to look there at verse 7. Do you see the word witness and the word testify? The word witness is a noun. I'm not, not trying to be 
not trying to be, uh, I'm not trying to speak down to you here, but I, I want to make a, a point here. The word witness is a noun. He came as a witness. That's a noun. You and I are to be witnesses for Christ also as Christians. That's something we are to be. If you are a Christian, you are necessarily a witness. Just like we've been learning on Wednesday nights, if you are a Christian, you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. You don't have to attain some certain level and then you become a disciple. If you claim to be a Christian, you are following, you are a disciple of Jesus. But if you're a Christian, you're a witness. You're a witness. But you see that word just next to it there, the word testify. That's a verb. A witness, what does a witness do? A witness testifies. All right, now some of you are going, oh, we're back in English. And, oh, we're not. But, it, but I want us to catch something here. Do you, do you know that the word witness there and the word testify in English, those are the same, they come from the same word in the original language. This was written in the Greek language. They come from the same word. The verb there for testify is the word marturia. The verb marturio in Greek. And do you know that it's used 33 times? It's used 33 times in the Gospel of John. And that's a lot. In fact, it's one of the, the most prevalent, the most pr uh, uh, prominent themes in the Gospel of John. That we are to testify. We are to testify. And he goes through a number of witnesses. In fact, there are, um, there are at least seven witnesses that John uses in the Gospel of John to point to the fact that Jesus was God. Now, why is that such a big deal? Because in that day, just like in our day, a testimony is supposed to be corroborated by a witness. When you go to court, right, and someone testifies, and then they pull another, what, witness to the stand. To do what? To testify whether or not that's true or false. You see, and John is, is thinking this way. Under the Spirit's inspiration, he is bringing us multiple witnesses to testify about the fact that Jesus is really God. That's a big deal. 33 times he uses that, that verb form of marturio for us to know that that, that, that is something that is, that is ongoing that we are to do. We are to testify. But the word witness, that noun, marturia, is used 14 times. There are different witnesses that are called to the stand, if you will, to speak about the fact that Jesus is God. And so why am I harping on this? Why, why do I want to call your attention to this? I'm not just trying to fill space here. That's not the point. You know, it's not just to, to, to make use of, of the time and to, to get us to a decent hour. You know, because if I let you out early, you'll start expecting to get out early all the time. If we're the first ones to lunch today, we'll always want to be the first ones to lunch. So I'm not, I'm not trying just to fill time here. That's not the point. This is very important because this is a theme we see over and over in this gospel. John the Baptist was a witness he came for a, for, for a purpose. His purpose was to testify that Jesus is God. Jesus is God. And they're essentially the same word. It's also interesting that this word marturia, it's where we get our English word martyr from. You know what a martyr is, huh? A martyr is someone who gives their life for a cause, for something they believe in. Now, you can believe in coincidences if you, if you want to. I don't believe in coincidence. I believe in God's sovereignty. Our English is the way it is for that reason. Now, there are some problems with English, so we'll ask God about those problems later, right? But this word martyr comes from this Greek word marturia, the word that means witness or to testify. And it's very interesting that John was actually a martyr for the Lord Jesus. We'll talk about that in a moment. But... 
We see John use this, this phraseology often. 33 times for the verb, 14 times for the noun. I mean, that's, that's like, uh, if you add those together, you should get around, what, 47, 47 different uses of this. He's trying to make a point. John the Baptist is not God. But John the Baptist fulfilled a role as being one who pointed to the Messiah. He pointed to Jesus. But he does give us some, some striking contrast between the two. And maybe some of the commentators, some of the historians, maybe they're right. Maybe it is to address the followers of John the Baptist that were still alive when the Apostle John was writing this, this letter, this, this, this gospel. But look, I want you to notice a few things here. Notice back, go back and look. It says there was a man, there came a man. So he's contrasting this man who comes, John, with the God he's already introduced in the first five verses. In the beginning was the Word. He's drawing a distinction between the Word, who is Jesus, and the man, who is John. And for us, that's kind of like a no-brainer. But go back to this time when people were still following John the Baptist. He's calling their attention. And you think maybe we're too sophisticated today, huh, to, to, to follow people. Uh, you th do you believe that? That we're too sophisticated that we, we don't get sucked into following other men or women? We're not. There are a lot of people who blindly follow teachers today. Can you think of any? You don't have to yell them out. But I mean there's one that's just 90 miles west of us. I had to get my bearings right. North, yeah, west of us. This one teacher who has a following of thousands upon thousands upon thousands. 40,000 or so people every week. I'm not naming any names here today, but his initials are Joel Osteen. That's right. <laughs> I mean, you just think about how people follow him. I've got an old classmate who attends his church now and, and did a, um, a radio show probably a year ago now. It's been a while. And we still dialogue sometimes. We still dialogue. That sounds too, too emergent. We still debate a lot about that old radio show because it just simply compared the gospel that Joel Osteen preaches versus the gospel that the Bible proclaims. Very simply. Here's what he said. Here's what Jesus said. Here's what he said. Here's what Jesus said. And this guy blindly follows his pastor over there. Even when the truth was given. And I'm not saying I'm always right. That's not the point. The point is some things are very obvious. I mean, think about David Koresh. Go back. David Koresh. When was that? Uh, the late 80s? Or 90s? The 90s? I'm trying to think. I was at Lamar, I think. So early 90s, maybe. David Koresh, branched the Branch Davidians. And I can remember people thinking, how dumb. How could these people possibly follow this man? People did. And yet Christians blindly follow others. Think about the books that are written today. You think about the books. If someone wrote a book today that, that outlined you know, all of the hundreds of errors that Joel Osteen preaches from week to week. And this isn't just pick on Joel Day, but Mike brought him up, so you know, we'll, we'll go with it. But just think, I mean, because really, and, and again, I'm not trying just to badmouth the guy. He has been confronted time after time after time with the errors and, and offered the opportunity to correct those ways and he continually preaches a false gospel. Plain and simple. You call people that continually do that what? False teachers. We're not to follow false teachers. But if someone wrote a book today that outlined, let's just say, you know, the top 20 places Joel Osteen missed it and they tried to publish it. Do you think a publisher today would publish a book like that? 
I, I really don't think they would. Brad used to be in, in book sales and that kind of stuff as managing a bookstore, if I remember right. Do you think there would ever be a book like that in, in, the, in the stores? If you look today, what do you find? You find feel-good kind of teaching. You find populous kind of things. People write today to reach the masses. But here's what's sad to me. Here's what's sad. Is you have men who are still proclaiming the truth. And some of them are still authoring books that are true. And they sell thousands of copies. Maybe a million if they get popular. Maybe a million. But then you have others like, like Sarah Young. Who writes a, a, a blasphemous devotional as if she's speaking the very words of Jesus. Jesus calling. She believes she was channeling Jesus. If you read the original, I'm chasing a rabbit now, I know, but just go with me. I'm a, he's going to come back. He will get back to the point eventually. But if you read the introduction of her original book, it, it very clearly tells you what she's doing. She was idolizing and looking to the two, the two witnesses who wrote the book God Calling. They were the speakers. What they, what they proclaimed to do, these unnamed women... I think we may have their names now. I can't remember, but they never gave their names in the book. But these two ladies who wrote the original God Calling, they were channeling Jesus. Channeling Jesus. Do you know what that's called? Huh? D what? Like divination. Yeah, is, that, is that spoken of in the Bible? Is it spoken of po positively? No. It's proclaimed against. And they, in their introduction to God Calling admitted they were channeling Jesus. I can assure you it wasn't the Jesus of the Bible. It may have been a Jesus, but it wasn't the Jesus. It could have been one of those, those multitudes of Jesus, as we like to say. Made up word. Don't quote me on that. But there are a lot of false Jesuses. That's why it's so vitally important that people testify of the truth. Do we still need that today? Absolutely we need that today. Absolutely. Yesterday, our president-elect went to an interfaith worship service, as is the tradition of all the presidents behind him. I, I know nothing that took place there yesterday, absolutely nothing. But just the, the very name of that interfaith should make the little Holy Spirit light in the back of your head that convicts you of things, it should make that light start blinking. You don't really have that light, that's just, alright, don't start looking. I saw some of you looking around. It's figurative, y'all, you don't really have that. But it should make that warning light go off. Pete was looking all around. Pete, not really. Interfaith. How many faiths legitimately are there of the Lord Jesus Christ? There's one faith. There's one gospel. There's one faith. And if you're going to accurately testify of that Jesus and that gospel, that's what we should proclaim and testify. Amen? That's what it should be. And that's what John the Baptist did. But it tells us, here's the contrast, just very, very quickly now. There was a man... Sent from God. He was not God. So we see this next thing, that he came from God. He was sent from God. His name was John. So what's the contrast we see here? We see that there's a man who was sent from God. Where was God? Jesus the Word. He just always was. He always was. In fact, verse 3 tells us that all things came into being through him. Apart from him, nothing came into being except John that has come into being. Is that what it says in verse 3? I threw something in there. Did you notice? All right? That's not what it says. It says all things came into being through him and apart from him or outside of him came into being nothing that has come into being. So John came from the creator. 
John was birthed from the Creator. Does that make sense? Not directly. I'm not saying that. But just like every one of us came, ultimately, trace us back. We are here because of the Creator. We did not always exist. We are not eternal in that regard. But Jesus was. The Word is eternal. And so there's that distinction now. And again, here's another contrast. John the Baptist came into existence. And kind of just made that point, just a little clearer here. But Jesus Christ always existed. He, it says again in verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, meaning the Father. It doesn't say that Jesus came into being at any point as the Jehovah's Witnesses believe, remember. They say in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was a God, little g, right there. They misinterpret this very important verse because it speaks against their teachings, their doctrines, their beliefs. But the scripture is very clear. In the beginning, Jesus was, and he always was. He was always and ever was there. Another thing we see here is that John the Baptist, very clearly, it tells us, John the Baptist was not the light. Okay? It says in verse 8, He was not the light, but he came to do what? To testify about the light. If John, and this is very important, in the day we live in, this is very important. It was important then, but it's very important for us today too. If John had tried to attract attention to himself, he would have been unfaithful to his God-given appointed task. But John faithfully pointed men to Jesus and not to himself. If I point men to myself, I am being unfaithful to my God-given task of being a witness for Jesus Christ. Man, we talked about that yesterday. Remember, we, we talked about pride. It was one of those real fun ones. And 10 of us came together yesterday and, and began to share. We got out the tissues. And I mean, it was just great. I, I had it recorded. So if any of you make me mad, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share what you confessed yesterday. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't record it. That's just... That was a bad joke. Now none of you will come back. That's, that's, I promise you that's just a joke. Nobody recorded anything. But what we talked about yesterday was pride. And how pride is a problem for everybody. Not just those people. All of us struggle with pride in some fashion. What is pride? Pride is demanding our way. Pride is what caused Satan to fall in the beginning. Remember? Satan, Lucifer, wanted to rise his throne above the throne of God. And there are some... There's some, some um, very, uh, there's some, some teaching that we could uh, to look at and, and interpret it as if, as if Satan was the, the highest of those created angelic beings and that he alone had direct access to the throne of God. Now, I'm not going to be dogmatic about that, but there in Isaiah, uh, there's a, a passage that would lead us in that direction. Again, not to be dogmatic, but if anything, he was created, the Bible tells us, in splendor, in majesty. And he had everything except the top seat. And what happened? He wanted more. Do you ever struggle with that? Do you ever look at your neighbor getting something? And I mean, even if it's just for a second, you go, man, that's a nice car. And before long, if you're not careful, what's, 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 what's happening? That's pride. What do you think? No, that's greed. That's lust. Where do those things come from? From pride. Because we think we deserve something that someone else has. Does that make sense? And we all in some degree struggle with that in our lives. Folks, that's pride. And the moment I start pulling the attention to me, that's when, that's when we're, we've, we've gotten off task. You ever gotten off task? I mean, doing something? 
I, I do this. I'm supposed to be saying this, and I start chasing rabbits over here. And before long, I look, and way over there, I can see the point I'm supposed to be making. And I can't even find my way back sometimes. You guys, y'all been here, right? You've heard me talk. That's how, it's kind of how I roll, right? But we're supposed to stay on the subject of Christ. Now, is that to say you should never talk about yourself? No, that's not what I'm saying. You know when you're doing it from pride. We know. If God's Holy Spirit's in us, He convicts us. Amen? Christ in us, that hope of glory, He convicts us of all sin. That's the reason we have the Holy Spirit. Partially to convict us of sin. When the Holy Spirit comes, He will convict you in sin, in all sin. So we're supposed to point people to Jesus. That's what John the Baptist did. And, and the Apostle John in the gospel here that we're studying, he makes it very clear. Yes, John was great. And we're going to see throughout the next couple chapters that, yeah, he's going to look back at John the Baptist and say, yeah, he was a great man. But he was not God. He was not the Messiah. He's not the one we're to follow and worship. We worship Jesus. We follow Jesus. He was not the light. He was not the light. Now, as we look at this, I want you to think about, about this fact. Some 20 years after the resurrection of Jesus, all right, about 20 years after Jesus was crucified, dead, buried, rose again, and then ascended into heaven, about 20 years' time passes. And we see in, in the book of Acts, we see this. And that's chapters 18 and chapter 19 of the book of Acts. All right, some 20 years have gone by. 20, 25 years have, have passed. And we see that Paul finds some disciples of John the Baptist there. And he begins to speak to them about the fulfilled message now of the Messiah, of Jesus. And he starts where they are with the teachings of John. And here's something I want you to realize. When John the Baptist was baptizing, was there a New Testament or a New Covenant yet? Were there Christians? There were no Christians. There were no Christians. Alright, this was still Judaism. Okay, there was no Christianity yet. His baptism was for a Jewish repentance. And there were still people who were following that and proclaiming that. They needed Jesus. They needed the rest of the story. Quote, was that Paul Harvey? Back in the day, right? And now the rest of the story. They needed the rest of the message. They needed to know that Jesus was the Messiah that John was pointing to. They needed to know that Jesus was, the, the, was God in the flesh and He was, like I said, the Christ, the Messiah, just the way the Old Testament prophecies prophesied, the way those prophets predicted he was the one that they were waiting for. And so he makes it happen. So why did John come? John came to testify of who Jesus is. Why are you here if you're a Christian? Because I'm going to be real honest. There are days when I would just like to go be with Jesus. Can anybody relate to that? No, not all the time. There are, there are other days when, when I pray and then I start repenting. I'm thinking, oh, I don't, I'm kind of torn and it's wrong to be torn. We should follow Jesus wholeheartedly. But there are days when I want to see my children grow up, you know, and I pray that if the Lord should tarry, that He will leave them in a world where, where they can actually survive and thrive as Christians and, and not have to fear and be underground and those sorts of things. I, I find myself thinking through all these different scenarios as a, as a dad, right? As a dad, I, I think those things. But... I'm still here for a reason. Christian, you're still here for a reason. Do you know what that reason is? It's the same thing John was, was doing. We're here to testify of who Jesus is. If you're here, it's not just for your pleasure. It's not for my pleasure. Although, sure, we seek pleasure sometimes. Wrongly. We're here to give testimony 
that Jesus is God. We're here to live lives that testify that Jesus is God. We're here to speak words that proclaim Jesus is God. That's why we're here. We're here to be martyrias, witnesses. We may even be martyrs for Jesus. Turn to Matthew real quick. Matthew 14. Matthew 14. I want you to look at just three verses. Matthew is the first gospel. Remember Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. First book of the New Testament. Look at Matthew chapter 14. Look at verses, uh, when I say 10, yeah, 10. Verse 10. Yeah, 10, 11, and 12. Matthew 14, verses 10, 11, and 12. Now, 14 begins. You can look there if you want to. Don't, you don't have to turn there, Ricky, but just, just notice it comes at a time when Herod... The Tetrarch heard the news about Jesus and said to his servants, This is John the Baptist he, uh, that is risen from the dead, and that is why he has these miraculous powers, and that's why they're working through him. And when Herod heard, uh, ha, I mean, rather, for when Herod had John arrested, it tells us in verse 3, he bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip. Look at verse 4. For John had been saying to him, It's not lawful for you to have her. See, he married a, a lady. He should never have married. It was wrong. It was, it was crude. It was sinful. And so what is John the Baptist doing? Now, is he, we don't have a record of him right there proclaiming that Jesus is the Christ. But what's he proclaiming? Truth. What's he standing on? The teachings that he had through God's Word. The testimony of, of Judaism to that point. From the temple worship. All of those things he had been taught that had been passed down. The things he was learning of Jesus to that point. But he's proclaiming truth. Folks, people who want to engage in different types of marriage other than the heterosexual marriage that the Bible proclaims as the definition of marriage, by the way. Who gets to define marriage? Who, who, gets, who has the right to define marriage? We're getting real practical here. Who? How do we know that? What? Say it like you mean it. Because of His Word. Who created marriage to start with? God. So who gets to define how it's used? God. Alright? So that's the ultimate reality. So, when our government proclaims something different, if it's law, as Christians, what, what do we do? No, we're going to get real di difficult here. What do we do as Christians? Do we obey or ignore the law? Huh? Are we given the right to break, to break the law of the nation that we live in? Are we? Huh? Say that again? Okay. If two people... I tell you, we're going to get very, very deep waters here. You ready? But just, just, just listen. If our government allows two people the same sex to marry... Does that cause you to disobey God? Does it? It doesn't. They're not forcing you to marry someone that way, are they? It doesn't. So does that law have a ground for us to be civilly disobedient against our government? I didn't say you have to like it or agree with it. And again, treacherous waters here, I know. Some of you may disagree. You may never come back. I hope that's not the case. I hope we can talk about this, all right? 
I don't have the right as a Christian to go throw bricks through Starbucks just because I disagree with a law that comes down from this state. Does that make sense? But if this government commands me to violate God's clear teaching, guess what? I will be the first in line to proclaim God's teaching as opposed to the government's teaching. Does that make sense? We talked about this this past year. We can, I'll follow up on any of that you want to follow up with. Maybe I didn't say it clear enough. But what John the Baptist did, he didn't cause a riot. Okay, He didn't make signs that said bad words about Herod. He simply spoke the truth to Herod. And what happened to John the Baptist? Look at verse 10. Look at verse 10. He sent, who? Herod sent and had John beheaded in prison. Why? Because John spoke against the false things. He spoke the truth against the false things that his ruler was engaged in. He said, what you're doing is wrong. The scriptures, I'm just paraphrasing here. The scripture says this, what you're doing is wrong. So what did they do? They arrested him, threw him in jail. Look what happens. He sent had John beheaded in prison. And his head, as if it can't get any worse than this, okay? As if it can't get any worse than being beheaded. You ready? What happens? And his head was brought on a platter. You know what a platter is? Brought on a big plate, a service plate. When your waiter brings you, kids, when your waiter brings you food to your table at the restaurant, when they bring your pizza out, it's like a big old platter. He had his head brought out on a platter and given to the girl. And she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took away the body and buried it. And, and they went and reported to Jesus what, it, what had happened. And the story continues. But here's the whole point of all that little trail there. John was a witness for Jesus. He was a witness. He testified. He was a marturia and a marturio he engaged in. And then he was actually a martyr whose life was taken because he stood on the principle of the truth. Folks, that day may very well come for us. That's why I believe in God's sovereignty and His providence. Even these three verses about John the Baptist are extremely relevant for us today. We don't have the right to break laws just because we're Christians. No more than liberals have the right to break the windows out of Starbucks. And, and get this, go back to what Paula had said this week. Starbucks, they're extremely liberal. Pam, I'm sorry. They're extremely liberal. They give money to promote all sorts of liberal causes. That's their right. People can do whatever they want to with their private property. That's okay. But I just find it very hilarious that these, these protesters were throwing bricks through the windows of Starbucks. Starbucks supported their cause. It makes no sense. But folks, we laugh, and, 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 and sadly we're laughing. But folks, that's darkness. They're in darkness. Bank of America also, you know what Bank of America is guilty of? Usama will remind us when he comes in March. What does Bank of America do? Huh? They make contributes to Islamic Jihad. They do. I forgot how to say it. J J uh, Jitsra, 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 something like that. In fact, since we're on the subject of politics, you know the money that we give to like Iran and Iraq and all those people? You know what that is? That's the same thing. We're giving them money to be subservient to their false god Allah. That's what our country's doing, folks. Anyway, I know I chased some rabbit trails and I didn't mean to get political, but I just want you to see it's light and darkness. 
It's light and darkness. So what does the light do? Do we throw bricks through Starbucks? They make some all right coffee. Sorry. Let me hide here for a second from Pam. They make some all right coffee. I mean, I'll drink it if there's nothing else. It's all right. It's a little bitter for my taste, all right? Their roast is a little burnt for the most time. That's okay. Each to their own. Okay. We can, we're free to believe and drink what we want, right? That's all good. But folks, as Christians, our job is to shed the light, is to proclaim the truth, is to share Jesus. Does that mean we bury our head in the sand and don't get engaged in politics? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that our primary calling is to what? To testify of the light. That's what John the baptizer did. Folks, that's still what we are to do today. Over and over again in this gospel, we're going to see witnesses who point to Jesus. Let's say a hundred years from now, Jesus has not returned. I pray that's not true. I pray he comes quickly. Maranatha, come quickly, Lord. That's a prayer. I pray regularly. I do. I want the Lord to return because I see the direction of this world. I see how the darkness is growing. And it didn't catch God by surprise. God knows the beginning from the end, okay? And in fact, if we would read in, in context the book of Revelation and other places, we would understand that it's going to get darker before Jesus returns. I'm, I'm okay with that. But while we're here, and let's say a hundred years from now, God's still tarry. Jesus has not returned. And we are dead and gone. I, I hope in a hundred years I'm gone. I don't want to be that old. I, I can barely move right now, okay? Ugh. I don't think this old body can handle that, that long. But a hundred years from now, when people look back, let's just pick on Jesse here. They look back on Jesse. Was Jesse going to be a witness for Jesus? Or is he just going to be that really pretty fireman? You know what I'm saying? Sorry. That was for Ricky. Sorry. <laughs> Jesse's my brother. All right. But you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I said that funny. I... But when they look back at my life, are they going to see... He was a witness for Jesus. Are they going to say, man, that guy sure could talk. And they look at your life. What are they going to say? If the Lord should tarry, my heart's desire, I promise you, I'm not perfect at this either, but I want for people to see Jesus in us. Do I fail? Sure. Do you fail? Sure. Will we, are we likely to fail in the future? Yeah. But will people see Jesus in us? You know, even in, when we fail, people can see Jesus in us. Do you realize that? When you and I fail, that is not the time for us to hide ourselves away. When you and I fall, that's the time we desperately need Christian brothers and sisters. Amen? That's when we need for someone to lovingly lift us up and to restore us the way James talks about. Folks, are we being faithful witnesses for Jesus? That's what we're called to do. If you're a Christian, you're called to be a faithful witness. So will you bow your heads with me for a moment? And I know I got into some messy waters and I hope that did not muddy up the truth for you but the reality is bigger than who sits in our White House the reality for us as Christians is that we are not of this world that our master our Lord Jesus Christ he is the one who gets to call the shots ultimately for us 
And we are to do so within the parameters of, of the national laws and the state laws and, and whatnot that we live in, as long as those things do not cause us to violate Scripture and the clear commands of God. So Christian, are we witnessing for Jesus? First, as we think through our life, does our lifestyle point to Jesus or does it point away from Jesus? Our lifestyle will not save people. The gospel saves people. But does my life get in the way? Does my thought life bring glory to Jesus? Because if my thought life is right, before long, my lifestyle will get on board with my thought life. As a man thinks in his heart, so he is. And then the words that I speak are the words that are coming out of my mouth witnessing for Jesus Christ. Are my words pointing people to Jesus, the Messiah, the only way, the only truth, and the only life? Or do my words get in the way of what I profess to believe in? As we pray this morning, just for a few moments, I pray that you and I would get in line behind Jesus, so to speak. If God's Spirit is revealing in our spirit right now that I've been thinking things that do not bring glory to God, would, would you repent of those things? If I've been engaged in activities, if you've been engaged in activities that are sinful and that do not point people to Jesus, would we repent of those activities right now? God, forgive me. If my speech does not proclaim the reality that Jesus is way, truth, and life, if my words get in the way of that, if my vocabulary is such that it's crude and crass, would we repent of that this morning? If you are here today and God's Holy Spirit is convicting you and you realize that you are not a Christian, you may have been born in a church. You may have, have been in church every day of the week, twice on Sundays. It doesn't matter. God's Spirit is convicting you. You have never repented and turned from your sin, trusting in Jesus Christ alone to pay the price for your sin. You have never come in saving faith, believing that Jesus alone is the way, that He alone is the truth, He alone is life, that He alone is God. Right now, would you cry out to God, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Forgive me, God. God, thank you for saving me. Thank you that in my sin, you call me to salvation. You save me. Thank you for giving me the faith to believe in your son, Jesus. Now, God, help me to live my life for you. A life that brings glory and honor 
to your holy name. And I pray that we as Christians would agree with that sentiment as well. That our life would bring glory to Jesus Christ. I pray these things in His holy name. The name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.